You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Spirit, Part 2. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. As promised, this week I want to deal with the subject of spirit as it applies to man. Although many have come up with different ideas, this is a difficult subject, and that shows in the literature and articles published on it. One of the problems is that it's hard to define something that is beyond our senses of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. From my research and from what I know of God's Word, the Bible, I feel that many commentators espouse a belief on this subject that is contrary to what the intended meaning is. And that's probably because it's hard to define something like mind, soul, spirit, or even intelligence. It is probably easier to define what it is not. What makes up man? Well, most people would probably agree that man is made up of spirit, soul, and body. And I wonder if evolutionists have come up with any ideas about the metaphysical aspects of man. But putting that thought aside, we are introduced to what man is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This short statement is quite profound, inasmuch as man was and is made from the elements and compounds of the earth. These elements and compounds are inert, that is, they are inorganic. But then God breathed into man the breath of life, that is, God made those inert elements and compounds alive. In simple terms, life is spirit. So, physical man, plus life or spirit if you like, equals a living soul. And I've had the opportunity to visit three motor vehicle factories in my life and have seen how a car is assembled. Near the end of the assembly line, the car is ready except for one vital thing, fuel. When the car is filled with fuel, it has the vital ingredient to make it go. (laughs) And did you know that petrol once used to be called motor spirit? Just as with cars, when God made man... The vital ingredient is and was the spirit, that is, the breath, the life. The Hebrew word for physical man, sometimes referred to as flesh, is basar, 
The word for spirit is ruach. This word can be translated to mean wind, breath, or spirit. The whole person, the soul, is described by the word nefesh. So, basar plus ruach equals nefesh. At creation, when God made all life on the earth, including the animals, there was something special about man because God chose to make humans in his image. Genesis 1 verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. Man was made in God's image as the highest life form on earth and was in charge. That is, he needed to care for the environment and all that was in it. However, some special godlike aspects were included in man, but not in the animals. And I'd like to suggest those aspects are accountability, spirituality, conscience, a sense of right and wrong, the capability to reason, to be able to communicate through speech, and the ability to love and care. Some people suggest that another aspect of man's makeup was immortality. Yet here is where the contradiction in people's understanding of spirit and soul comes in. If you read the literature on our subject for today, many say that when someone dies, their spirit goes back to God, or, if that person has been bad, goes to hell. Yet we read in First Timothy Chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, he, talking about God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal. So the question is, when God made man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, was man made unconditionally immortal. And I know that many religious people think that is the case. For some have told me that when they die, they expect to go straight to heaven. However, this issue needs qualification. I believe it was God's intention at creation that man should live forever. But a villain came in and spoiled everything. And that villain, as you would probably know, was Satan. And he caused our first parents, Adam and Eve, to sin. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. 
And then Romans 6 verse 23 explains a little further, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, if someone must die as a result of his or her sins, what dies? Well, many believe that it's only the body that dies. They think that their spirit, that is their life, according to Genesis 2-7, goes to heaven or to hell. And that supposes that their spirit, and some use the term soul, can exist independent of the body. But I want you to think about this. When a person sins, where is that sin committed? Is it in their arm, their eye, their leg, their mouth? No. The sin is committed in their mind. The sin may be carried out by the body, but the mind is responsible for the sin. Now, Greek philosophy and um, I believe the Egyptians and other ancient peoples taught that mind and body are separate entities and that it's possible to sin with your body but not with your mind. But that's not possible because all our choices, decisions and actions originate in the mind, which some would call the spirit or the soul. Perhaps then, maybe there's this outside possibility, there's a separate meaning for death. Maybe death doesn't mean inert, without thought or movement. But no, that's not the case. Death means to perish, to be without thought and without conscious existence. So then, where do people get the idea that when someone dies, their spirit, also known as their soul or intelligence, goes to heaven or hell? Well, the idea most probably comes from Ecclesiastes 12.7. This says, Then the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. But here's another problem for those who say that at death their soul goes to heaven. The text in Ecclesiastes 12.7 clearly says, that at death the spirit goes back to God. But what about the bad people? Where does their spirit go? According to popular opinion, they, their soul minus the body, goes to hell, right? But if their spirit goes to hell, when the text says that their spirit goes back to God, who gave it, is God in hell? <laughs> well, of course not. God is in heaven. So there must be a mistake in the understanding about people's spirits going back to God. Originally at creation, what God gave man was life in order to function, to move, to reason, to breathe, and that all man's organs perform their proper functions and so on. Man has to forfeit life because of sin. 
Because of sin he cannot keep that life. Therefore, man is not immortal. Immortality will be granted to those who accept the merits of the sinless one, Jesus Christ, who took our punishment on himself, that man may yet have what God originally intended for him to have. Immortality is not an unconditional right starting from birth. It is conditional. I was very impressed when my wife and I were casually walking through the cemetery at Tanunda in South Australia. Many of the inscriptions on the tombstones echoed a strong belief in the scriptures about the dead being raised to eternal life at the return of Jesus. One phrase stood out. It was, Till he comes. Here, it was recognised that the dead were dead, without any movement or thought. But those interned in their graves died with the assurance that at the return of Christ, they would be raised to life everlasting. The Apostle Paul wrote for all to know in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 54. And he said this, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. When God gave man life, there were conditions attached. And I like to think of it in this way. Life is on conditional loan to man because of the possibility of sin. If we had not sinned, we would be able to retain life. But because we have sinned, we are not able to keep that life because God is a holy God and in him is no sin. Sin and God cannot coexist. We're going to go on with this straight afterwards after the break.
the life he gave for us to use. I'll put it this way, as is said in Ecclesiastes, the life goes back to God. But at the return of Jesus, we who are faithful will be given eternal life as a non-returnable, unconditional gift. And I'll share two Bible verses that support what I've just said. The first is in Romans 6.23, which I quoted earlier. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The second is from Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. When a gift is given, no conditions are attached. So when we are faithful and obedient to God, we, like the Apostle Paul, can be confident that God will keep his promise and we shall receive eternal life. 
And here's what Paul had to say, recorded in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. If the commonly taught concept that at death, body and spirit part, then why was Paul saying that he would receive his reward at the appearing at the second coming of Christ? Paul also commented on someone else who had died in Acts 2 verse 34. He said, For David is not ascended into the heavens. You would have thought that the man God described as a man after his own heart, that's David, would have gone straight to heaven after he died. But no, David is waiting like all the other saints who have died to receive immortality at the return of Christ. There is no conscious essence that goes back to God at death. It's the life, the life on loan to us, that it's taken back. That's the spirit that's mentioned in Ecclesiastes. And I find it strange that the false doctrine about the soul going straight to heaven after death has gained so much support as it has. Is it more comforting to know that a departed loved one is up there somewhere, looking down and seeing those whom he or she loved, going through trials, pain, disappointment, and all the problems associated with this troubled world, and it is to realise that the one or ones who've died are waiting, asleep in the dust, waiting for Jesus to come back. After all, when people die, they lose all consciousness. The moment of resurrection at Christ's return will be just a short moment of time, like a millisecond. For them. I mentioned in the previous program how a lady asked me what's the spirit. Near the beginning of today's program I said that spirit is a difficult word to define because it's derived from the Hebrew word ruach. That one word ruach has been translated in the Bible to be wind, breath or spirit. The translators gave the English translation according to the context where the word was used. Ruach has been translated as breath 33 times, been translated to be wind 117 times, and translated to be spirit 76 times. In addition to that, it's also translated to describe the living principle in man and animals 25 times, as the seat of emotions 3 times, the mind 9 times, the heart three times, moral character 16 times, and the Spirit of God 94 times. Of the total of 379 instances in the Old Testament, not even once does Ruach denote an intelligent entity capable of existence separate from a physical body. It's therefore quite clear 
that the concept that Ruach is not referring to a separate conscious entity, according to the scriptures. Therefore, we must conclude Ruach in Ecclesiastes refers to breath. So what goes back to God? It's the life. Because there are a lot of misunderstandings about spirit as it relates to man, I want to give you a summary of today's talk. Point number one. When God made man, he breathed into him the breath of life. Number two. Body plus breath, that's life, together equals soul. A living person is a soul. Three. Breath Spirit and wind are translated words in English from the one Hebrew word, ruach. Number four, there is no basis nor proof that spirit is a separate entity from the body. Each aspect is vital for the existence of the other. The body cannot function without the spirit, that's the life, and the life is not existent without the body. Number five, there is no basis nor proof that Ruach refers to a separate, independent consciousness that can exist apart from the body. Six, when God made man at creation, it was his intention that man should live forever. Seven, God's plan was interrupted by sin. Eight, a universal principle is that sin does not allow God to continue allowing a sinner to live continually. The wages of sin is death. Number nine. For the present, life is on loan to us by God. Number ten. Those who have been forgiven who have accepted the merits of Jesus and live according to the principles laid out by God have the certain promise of eternal life. Number 11. Immortality is not a natural human right given at birth. 12. Immortality will be given to the saints, whether dead or living, at the time of Jesus' second coming. 13. When someone dies, he or she forfeits life which is described in Ecclesiastes as going back to God. 15. The Bible does not support the idea that at death one's consciousness goes to either heaven or hell. 16. The Apostle Paul has clearly stated that both he and King David were yet waiting to receive the promise of eternal life. So, my friends, it's my hope that this short Bible study has been of help to you, that you may understand where life comes from and what happens when you die. Until next time, then, I wish you God's blessings as you contemplate these things, and I hope you join me next time as we further explore God's Word, the Bible. 